Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Today I want to continue with Psalm 106. This is a very long psalm with 48 verses. And so I'll split this into two sessions. The first session I'll deal with verse 1 to verse 23. And then next week I'll do verse 24 to the end. This psalm is quite similar to the previous one, 105. And it talks about, it recounts how God took care of Israelites. But it takes a different slant, this one. It begins, it tells us about the faithlessness, the sinfulness of the Israelites and of the psalmist himself. It acknowledges that the, the Israelites have been very sinful and failed again and again and again. But then it talks about the grace of God and how God redeems and restores his people. It is a very insightful psalm and it has taught me so much about the grace of God that it is not just a light thing, but it is deep, it's powerful and it's loving. So let's now look at this psalm. Let us pray. Father, you reveal so much to us, so much truth to us. And God, I pray then that as we meditate deeper into this psalm, we may know your heart, we may know your ways, but we may also understand our foolishness and turn to you even as you make us wise again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 106 Praise the Lord, or give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favour to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider our one, your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. But rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea, you saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works, they did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of God, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in the company, the flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb, worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats the grass. They forgot God their saviour who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
as we look at this passage, I want to highlight two issues, two, two parts of this story. First part is about sins of the psalmist and the fathers. He acknowledged his sinfulness, and this is important because he wasn't just saying, I'm a sinner, but he went through the whole litany of why, how they had sinned. He recounted the father's sins. And I'm sure he also realized how sinful he was as he recounted the forefathers' sins. In verse 7, it says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. The Hebrews had seen God work through the many plagues that were brought about in Egypt. Every one of these plagues affected only the Egyptians, but in their quarters, in their slum, they lived in the slums. The, the Egyptians lived in beautiful houses and palaces. But the plagues, the very many, many plagues, took place only in the richest parts of Egypt, while those living in the slums, the Hebrews, the slaves, were exempt from it. This is quite an irony, because so often we see that the poorest of the poor are the ones most affected, and the rich are sheltered. But God, in his grace and his mercy, protected his, the Hebrews, the slaves, and instead afflicted the oppressors, the Egyptians, with many, many plagues. The Hebrews saw all of this, and indeed it was a miracle. Because how often would a poor slum dweller experience such grace when there were frogs, and the frogs died and stank up the whole place, where there were mosquitoes and flies, they only attacked they only attacked the palaces, the Egyptians in the palaces, when there was darkness. The darkness was only where there was wealth, where they were supposed to be able to afford light. But instead they lived in darkness, while the Hebrews who had no very little resources had light with them. And so Hebrews saw how favored they were, how protected they were. And when it was time to flee, God gave the final plague. The plague was that the firstborn of everyone, every Egyptian, would die. Once again, we think about the poverty of the slaves. They had no medicine, they had no resources, often they were malnourished. And yet they were preserved by God while the fattened Egyptians, firstborn, including firstborn of Pharaoh, died suddenly overnight. This is so unlike what happens in the natural world. And these Hebrews saw it. And then it was time to flee, get out of Egypt. But as the, Egyptians, the Hebrews fled Egypt, even with the plunder of Egyptians, the Egyptians gave them wealth, begging them to leave. They had all the favor from God. But as they reached the Red Sea, they trembled with fear and they gave up hope. They were in despair. And they thought, well, God, you brought us up out, to, out up to the Red Sea just for us to be slaughtered by the Egyptians. What a cruel God you are. Now let's pause and think for a while. The Hebrews had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They had seen that they were the favored ones of God, how God loved them. And yet when they faced a crisis, they all lost faith. 
And rather, and not only did they lose faith, they blamed God, they were bitter with God, that God would bring them out only to slaughter them. What sort of image of God did they think they had? A God who favoured them throughout to decide to kill them at the last minute? That was bizarre. That was really an unthinkable thought. And yet the Hebrews, each of them, saw little hope in their lives. And God then parted the Red Sea and delivered them from the hands, from the swords of the Egyptians, destroying the Egyptians themselves. We think about our own lives too. How often we have said thank you to God, grateful that God has supplied our needs, crisis after crisis, God has provided for us. And yet, at a time of trials again, at a time of challenge, we often lose faith and we say, God, why did you let this happen to me? Why did you let me have so much prosperity only to destroy all that I have? And we question God again and again and we get bitter with God and we lose faith. But perhaps if we were to spend a bit of time just to think about how precious you are to God, how God has blessed you, how God has given you the desires of your heart, and then ask yourself, is this that perverse God who would then lure you, promise you many things and give you many things in fact, only at the end to destroy all of it? What sort of God do we have? The God of Israel proved that he wasn't such a perverse God, but rather that he was a loving God who would protect them all the way that they were his precious people. Let's learn this lesson too. Count every blessing that God has given to you and see how protected, how treasured you are, that you are the apple of God's eye. So that when you face a next challenge, you may know and believe that God still has you in his heart. But the people saw all these miracles, the greatest of the miracles was the parting of the Red Sea. Who could imagine that a sea, a broad, broad, deep sea, could be parted so that they would walk on dry land and then close back after them and kill and destroy their pursuers? Who could ever have imagined such a thing could happen? The Hebrews saw this and they rejoiced, they believed in God for a little while, a very short while. And then they forgot. Once again and again they sinned. One of the worst sins they had was that they committed was that they turned, they created for themselves a golden calf. As the psalmist says, the image of a cow, of a calf who eats grass. What the, what the psalmist was trying to say was, can you imagine how foolish it is that the God of the universe, the God who parted the Red Sea and allowed them to pass in safety and then to close the Red Sea and protect them from his, their pursuers, could be portrayed, could be thought of as a cow eating grass. How insulting can that be to the Almighty God? All that God has done, would they not forever, for the rest of their lives, rely on God and trust Him? Would they not, should they not be in awe of Him? 
and entrust their lives to him. Instead, they would turn to worship a cow, image of a cow that eats grass, a metal cow that eats grass. What, what perverse faith was this? And yet, and yet when the people did that, God, and of course God wanted to destroy them. I mean, I mean, these were useless people. I mean, even not even in wrath, but it's like, how stupid, how foolish, how, you know, it's hard even to find a word to describe the stupidity of these people, that they should mistake uh, Almighty God for a creature. And to God then, it's like, forget it. Let's just destroy these people. I mean, how long do I want to protect them? How long do I want to care for them? I mean, these mindless people just are so incredibly stupid. What can I do with them? And so God in his wrath wanted to just wipe them all out. And Moses stood in the gap and prayed for them, interceded with God. Moses said to God, God, you would not do this because what sort of God would that make you to be? A God that takes people, their people out and then destroys them? That's not you. And it says that God then spared the people Israel. Now we think then of the mediator. Moses risked his life. I mean, it's, you are facing, Moses was facing Almighty God, the God of the universe, and telling God and teaching God. I mean, what, what craziness was that? And yet he stood in the gap and he said, God, please don't destroy these people. Much as they deserve to be destroyed, much as they're worthless altogether, God, don't destroy them because they were your people. Please have mercy. And it reminds me then of our Lord Jesus Christ, that when we think about our folly, our foolishness, that our Lord Jesus stands in the gap and intercedes for us all the time because of our stupidity, because of our lack of faith, because of our foolishness. You see, these were not people who were pagans who started off worshipping other gods. They were people who had seen the power and the glory of God and turning away to worship an idol made of metal. We think of ourselves too. We say we've become Christians. We entrust our lives to God. We say that God has given us new life. He has redeemed me. And now I'm His. We say all these wonderful things. And all the time we see God working miracles and delivering us. And yet think about how poor our faith is. We may laugh at the Hebrews for worshipping an ox that eats grass. What about us? Do we do more stupid things? Like worshipping paper? You know, a friend of mine, a very wise, godly, high-ranking, uh, very intelligent man who understands economics, and he said to me recently, he said, when I look at the international situation, the situation in the world, I am afraid that the, the global financial system is about to break down. And I said, then what happens then? And he said, well, when it breaks down, then all the money that you have accumulated, all the US dollars that your country has, all the savings in your bank and your investments, investments they simply become worthless pieces of paper or digits in the computer. Because when the financial system changes and your money is no longer valid, 
People live by barter. No longer is your money worth anything. And the tragedy of Singapore then is that we have very little products to barter with others. We will be food refugees. And as food refugees then, we, where do we go? Because we have no food, we have to run to another country that has food. And all the money that we have is worthless. So I asked the obvious question then, what can we do? He shrugged and said, well, actually, you can only trust in God. You might want to hedge and perhaps have currencies of various countries that have food, like, I don't know, Thailand, China, countries that perhaps still grow crops. But how are you going to hedge? How are you going to know how much is enough to feed you? Basically, you have nothing. At the end of the day, you can only turn to God and trust Him. And at that moment, I realized how fragile our situation really is. We take so much pride in our money, all the investments that we have in our banks, in our portfolios. But overnight, just suddenly, none of that will be of any worth. And we need to come back to stop worshipping a piece of paper and to worship the God who supplies our needs. It was a very sobering thought because I realized then that really we have no one to turn to, nothing that we can really rely on if the system, if our money is worthless, if our homes are worthless. I mean, I saw pictures of Ukraine before the war. They were beautiful. The people were well off. They were an affluent country. And I look at them now, every building broken, destroyed, flattened. The things that we have, the things that we take pride in, are purely stone, paper, wood, metal. When the crunch comes, we really have nothing and we have to turn to the Almighty God who protects and who supplies. But then, as we think about our folly, we think too of Jesus who stands in the gap, that though we, though we keep forgetting that we have an Almighty God over us, and we deserve then to perish. I mean, if you're so stupid as to put out all our trust in pieces of paper, then perhaps we deserve to perish. But we think of our Lord Jesus Christ who stands by his Father, intercedes for us. Intercedes with Christ deep because he loves us and telling his Father, please deliver these, my children. Your children may have failed, may have been so foolish, may have gone astray. But please, take care of them because they belong to you. As I think of how Jesus then laid his life for us in exchange for what we deserve, what our stupidity and folly deserves, I realize then how much God values us. You know, one of the most beautiful things is that God valued Moses God didn't just destroy Moses and say, don't be stupid. But rather, God honoured Moses. Because in God's heart, we are precious. In God's heart, no matter how far we have run from him, how foolish we are, we are so precious to him. That he would honour the one who is the mediator, the one who stands, who risks his life, who gives his life to plead for us. God honours that. God honoured Jesus and lifted him up. And that shows something powerful, that God values our lives so much more than we can ever imagine. 
As I think about this, then I realize how important I am to God, how important you are to God. Not because of what we can offer God, we can offer Him nothing, simply because He values us and He loves us. I want to leave this thought with you then. How much do you believe that you are the apple of God's eye and that you are infinitely important to Him? That His Son Jesus would be the mediator to tell Him, no, don't, and that God would honour that and lift Jesus up and say, yes, you reflect my heart, for I can never, I will never destroy my own children because I love them. Let us pray. Father, as I think about my value to you, help me help each of us to turn to you and to put our faith in you, but at the same time also to value those around us because they are precious to you. Help us then, Lord, each day to release our grip, our worship of things that are unimportant, status symbols that we have, the, val the tre treasures that we keep that are perishable, and turn our eyes and turn our hearts to you that day by day we may trust you more and know that you are God who supplies all our needs, that in the day of trial, in the day of trouble, we can rest in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening in and God bless you. And one announcement, we will be stopping our podcast at the end of uh, November. So the last podcast will be on Thursday, 24th of November. Thereafter, we will not resume the podcast, but what we will have will be something different. We will have, starting January, daily devotions, daily Bible reading. That makes you us all work harder, I suppose, but that's a new thing that we're going to do. We will require, request you to assign you passages of the Bible so that we can cover the Bible in two years. And then we will continue with devotionals, but not on podcasts. We will, each of us, the different people, uh, pastors and church leaders, will write devotionals every day for you to follow with your Bible reading. And then on Sunday, the sermon will be based on the Bible reading for Sunday. So it's a seven-day-a-week thing. Uh, Monday to Saturday, there will be written devotionals, and then on Sunday, we will preach from the passage assigned on Sunday. So I'm glad that we have had this for close to two years. It's been my joy, and my privilege and pleasure, together with Jason, to produce these podcasts, which I hope have been a blessing to you. But I hope too that when we start with the Bible reading, that will even be more meaningful. Um, that will help us all grow in knowing God. Well, thank you. God bless you. Goodbye.